This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I'm really excited today to be talking with Dr. Roberto Olivardia about thinking outside the box when it comes to parenting kids with ADHD. Welcome to the podcast. It's great being here. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation today. I think it's a really important topic for our parents and listeners. Um, If you would just give us an introduction of who you are and the work that you're doing. Sure. I am a clinical instructor in the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts, and have a private practice in Lexington, Mass., where I specialize in the treatment of ADHD, obsessive-compulsive disorder, eating disorders. I do a lot of advocacy work on behalf of students with dyslexia and other learning disabilities. Uh, I have ADHD myself. I have a child with ADHD, a son with ADHD and dyslexia, and I also had uh, some mild Uh, reading issues uh, when I was a child. So I come from this both from a professional as well as a personal level. Yeah. And I think that gives you really extra insights to be so helpful with your patients and clients and even with your own children as well and what they're going through. Oh, without a doubt. Absolutely. I mean, the what I find beneficial and so important for parents out there, I mean, as you may know that a lot of parents actually, or adults, end up getting diagnosed with ADHD when their children do. Um, that yeah. a lot of times they go, they've been undiagnosed for many years, and then their children get diagnosed and they think, hmm, that's interesting. I can relate to a lot of these things. And, um, and we're just better at it now than we were, you know, 20, 30 years ago, really identifying this. So when, when a parent is diagnosed, it can be such an incredible wealth of uh, information and ways to relate to your child. I mean, my son, he's almost 13 and uh, I completely understand him. I mean, he's like, you know, we call him my mini me. Um, Right. And, you know, I, I can completely understand. And it doesn't mean that it, that there aren't challenges associated with that just because I understand it doesn't mean that there aren't frustrations and, and those kinds of things. But I think when you start from a base of really understanding, okay, this is what this is first and that these behaviors are attributed to a certain kind of wiring as opposed to these behaviors are due to oppositionality or these behaviors are due to them just trying to be difficult. It makes a complete difference in how you approach. Yes. A huge difference. And that's really a lot of my work with parents is just, you know, understanding your child on a really deep level and understanding that it is a difference in their brain and embracing it, accepting it. um, That's really powerful for parents. And I think without that, we get kind of stuck in the muck, you know, we're kind of in that sand pit and we can't get out because we're not um, able to move forward and move beyond 
the fact that their brain is different and this is what we're dealing with and and moving into that space of, okay, so how do we deal with it? How do we make the best of it? And I think, you know, that's a lot of the conversation that we'll have today in talking about thinking outside of the box when you're parenting is that that's where that comes into play so well. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. I mean, I, I remember... In third grade, I had to do a report on Athena, the goddess of wisdom. We all had different gods and goddesses, and right. mine was on Athena. And I, um, you know, I didn't have a computer back then. This is in the early '80s, um, so I had my typewriter. And I remember I have an older brother who's a, we're big music fans in my family, and he had a Queen cassette tape, mm. and the song "Another One Bites the Dust" was this mm. just amazing song. And the bass line just had just such a great rhythm to it. And I remember playing that song, and I was just first of all just so stuck and paralyzed writing this report uh, that was only had to be a page long. But when you're in third grade, that's a lot, you know, it is work. A lot. And so I played the music and I found, oh, with this music on, I kind of almost am, am kind of embodying this rhythm. And I was sort of on a roll typing this. And my dad, who uh, passed a couple of years ago, we were very, very close. He does not have ADHD. The ADHD definitely comes from my mom. Um, he said, oh, no, you shouldn't have music on mm -hmm. when you're doing work. Now, my dad was the type of person who re required silence to think, as many people do, and mm -hmm. that's fine. Yep. And I, and I, you know, and I'm eight or nine at the time. And so all I remember saying to him is, I, all I can tell you, dad, is that I wasn't, I was staring at a blank page before and just hearing this song and I would play it, rewind it, play it, rewind it, play it, rewind it. I am getting through this. And he allowed me to just do that. And he said, okay, well, I'm going to check in with you later to see how you're doing. Cause he, he wasn't convinced that how could this not be distracting yeah. to this song and sure enough, he came back and I had the whole thing written. I mean, I was standing, I remember sitting there for almost two hours, which is an eternity to a third grader, staring yes. at this blank page. And then the song literally was like someone injected me with adrenaline. And he was like, wow, that's really interesting. And looking back, that's one of many moments that I significantly and profoundly appreciate my parents because that could have gone a very different way. I mean, mm -hmm. he could have shut off that music and said, you are paying attention to this assignment. You're not listening to music. And I would, and I was not a kid that took no very well. And so, especially when I knew intuitively that this was right for me, mm -hmm. I would have, um, it, it would have been a problem, would have been a conflict. And, and I, when I work with parents and children and uh, teenagers with ADHD, it's situations like this where parents are well-meaning, they're well-intentioned. Of course, m you know, my dad wasn't saying, hey, I don't care what works for you. What he was saying is, I don't see how this is going to work for mm -hmm. you. So I think you should have the music on. And he heard me when I said, I can't explain why it does, but it does. And even though he wasn't convinced, he still came back to check and it turns out it did work for me. And from that moment on, when I have never written a paper or report since that time without having music on. I wrote my dissertation to the likes of Nirvana, Green Day, the Ramones, right. the Go-Go's, Joan Jett. I mean, this is the kind of music that gets me going. It's not classical music. That I need when I'm reading. Um, but in terms of the writing, which is a strength of mine, that I needed that kind of music. And I was, I'm just so appreciative 
now in my adult life, looking back at those moments in my childhood where it could have gone a very different way. Yeah, and that's so fascinating because I am certainly one of those people who has to have silence, no one in the room. I mean, I, you know, I write a lot too and um, have written some books. And as soon as, you know, I work a lot from home and as soon as everybody gets home, as soon as my son comes home from school, that's it for writing for me for the day. Like it has Mm -hmm. to be done when nobody's here. But my husband, who we feel like probably has undiagnosed ADHD and was the source for my son, um, has to have music in his ear every moment at work. He cannot focus. He cannot Mm -hmm. um, feel okay even. You know, if he doesn't have that, his mood is not good, you know, and, and it's fascinating to me that, you know, people, our brains can be so different that for one person, it's the absolute worst idea. And for another person, it's the only thing that works. And, and for parents, you know, we, we have to have our minds completely open for kids who have differently wired brains in order to find what's going to work for them. Um, you know, our definitions of paying attention can be different for your father, for me, even before um, I became more understanding and aware was paying attention means it's quiet and you don't have distraction or what what we yes. would think of as distraction. But paying attention for you is an entirely different definition. I think that's a really important um an important takeaway for our listeners. The other thing that struck me in your story, we had um, an OT named Suzanne Cresswell on a while back, and she talked a lot about rhythm and how rhythm is super important for us, all of us. Um, and in, in, and in that sometimes rhythm in the background can be soothing, can be focusing. So in the types of, in, of music that you were choosing or that chose you, I guess, what worked for you um, is not necessarily what someone would think of when they think of a type of music. You know, like you said, so often people think of classical music, but... Um, I think, you know, it's really important to keep our our minds open as parents to everything. Try everything. It's not going to hurt to try it. Just like your father did. He checked back in with you. He made sure that it was an appropriate thing that was working out for you. But, you know, there was no harm in trying it. And um, so I think, you know, I've come to really understand that rhythm in a new way. I've talked before on the podcast, my son has started making digital music on his iPad. And we have found that when he's stressed out in school, because he uses the iPad to help with dysgraphia and executive functioning. So he always has it with him at school. He has started creating music um, when he's stressed out or when he can't focus. And um, he has even said to me that he's found listening back to that music helps him get his work done. So, you know, when he's with his special ed teacher, he'll allow him to do that and he'll power through his work. So, you know, we really have to have our minds completely open to all of these different things that we never would have thought of before as parents. Absolutely. And, you know, and even, and this is something too, I mean, I have, I'm the, and I have an older brother who has ADHD and we shared a room that was 
tiny, a very tiny bedroom. And he functions best with silence. And so it was um, a very, uh, it, it made for very tumultuous times sometimes sure. because if I made the slightest noise, I mean the slightest yeah. noise, he would get so distracted um, by it. And I didn't understand that. You know, we're almost, we're six and a half years apart. So I didn't understand that. And I thought, what is your problem? Yeah. And, you know, was, I didn't, act, you know, in, in a way that was probably the, the most mindful way to act. And he, um, I, I mean, of course, if I even had music in my headphones, but he could hear, I, I have my music loud, um, and he could mm -hmm. hear it, it would be so distracting. And so even two people with ADHD, it manifests in a completely different way. Yes. And I agree what you said about rhythm is that I used to play the drums. I mean, music is I mean, when I say it's in my DNA, I mean, it's, it's everything, you know, mm -hmm. to me, I, I have a shower, um, you know, music playing when I'm taking a shower, I have music playing when I'm driving to work. I mean, I have music literally playing unless I'm sitting with a patient talking with them or with my family, there's always music yeah. around me. That's and my so it's, um, it is really important to, to test that out because sometimes I will have teen uh, clients of mine who will say, oh no, I, I, this is what's helping me. And in fact, let's say they have Netflix on and it's in fact not helping them. <laughs> they're, they're being right. distracted. And so I have, I say to parents, like, just like you said, keep an open mind and then test it out. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes your child will be right. And sometimes they think they're not being distracted, but they really are being distracted. Right. Uh, so that it's important to just, you know, keep an open mind and you almost work as a team to figure out, like I, I say to young people and even older people, I work with a lot of adults with ADHD who are just learning about their ADHD, is think of yourself as a detective, that you're trying mm -hmm. to figure yourself out. And it's actually kind of fun and exciting to see what works. And sometimes it's the most bizarre thing. I mean, one of, uh, speaking of rhythm, another great example of that is so reading has not been my strong suit. I mean, I have a son who's dyslexic, and looking back, um, I realized that I definitely was on that spectrum as well. So I don't read quickly. Right. And in uh, high school, I just didn't read a lot of the stuff that was assigned to me. But in college, and particularly in grad school, I really cared about I love psychology. I have a passion for it. So I really did want to be a good student, whereas prior to college, I, I wouldn't say that was the case. Right. Um, and we, in my doctoral program, we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of reading every week. And I was, it was just so overwhelming, but I wanted to read it and I loved it. And I was on the subway train going, you know, I'd go in and, in and out of Boston and I used to have my Walkman, of course, back in the mm -hmm. you know, 90s. And uh, my batteries died in the middle of my commute on the train. I thought, oh, my gosh, like, what am I going to do? I don't have my music. You know, and yeah. now I'm, I, I literally want to jump out of my skin in this crowded train. And I thought, well, why don't I just like pull out an article and just read one of the many articles that I have to read? Well, sure enough, by the end of the line, when I had to get off my stop, I looked down and I thought, wow, I read a lot, like more than I would have expected to read in just the 20, I think it was 20 minutes at that time. So I did an experiment. I timed how many pages I read in my apartment at the time to reading on a moving train, a moving, mind you, a moving crowded train, yeah, you know, in loud. Boston subway. And the results um, was seven pages to one. 
that I could read seven pages on a train to every one in my apartment in terms of time. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is like incredible. So what did I do is I, you know, on Sunday afternoons, I would go um, on the subway. I'd introduce myself to the conductor and I would say, I'm actually going to be riding this train back and forth, like from the (laughs) first stop to the last stop for hours. I'll pay multiple fares if you want me to. And he said, that's okay. Just take a seat. And so I parked myself in the corner. I packed a little lunch for myself. And literally for four or five hours on a Sunday, I would ride just the subway train back when people would go in and out and in and out. and, And I would get tremendous amounts of reading done. And I just said, well, this is how I'm going to read. And I remember telling my fellow um, peers in my doctoral program, and they thought, that's just so bizarre. Like, why would you do I mean, and thankfully, which is another important point that parents have to help their children with, is not having shame around that. That's key because having ADHD, you will have to do things differently than Mm -hmm. other people do. There's no question because your brain is just wired differently. And my motto is as long as you're not hurting yourself or hurting anyone else, then it's good to go. And I remember thinking, well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not one of those people. I can't sit still if I'm at my house or my apartment and, and read. Uh, maybe 20 minutes at max I can do that. There's no way I can do it. for. I don't know how people do that. It's just such a foreign experience. But being on a moving train that has that kind of rhythm, I can block out, you know, the, the conductor's voice over the loudspeaker, the people, the crowds going, you know, in and out. As long as I have my highlighter and, and my articles. And that's... And my and what's interesting is I was um, the first person in my incoming class to graduate to get my PhD. I did my program the fastest than anyone wow. did, and I credit that with other a lot of other strategies. But that's you know one of those strategies I always want to share with people because it it shows that sometimes you have to really be out of the box. Yeah, really far outside of the box. And, yep. and you know, that's acceptable. I, I love your motto that as long as you're not hurting yourself or anyone else, then you're good to go. Because I think, yeah, that, you know, reminding yourself of that helps you to throw out those parenting paradigms that we kind of grow up with. And I talk a lot about that on other episodes of the podcast is, you know, we really have to throw out all those traditional norms and be a detective of our child, really understand how their brain is working, and then start rewriting that parenting rule book specific to them um, and using all of these out-of-the-box tools, you know. And I think a lot of kids get excited about stuff like that when you look at it as a science experiment. You say, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to do a little experiment because that seems to get them to be a little more engaged in things like that as well. Um, When you were telling the story about the train, I'm just sitting here racking my brain thinking, okay, what's the equivalent for all of us who don't have a train in our town, (laughs) who don't have the subway? (laughs) Like what... What can we do? Yeah. Oh, the, um, the other, I mean, now where I read, a lot of my reading will be um, at the gym on, I can actually, now this is something a lot of people can't do, but I can be on a treadmill because I run in races. I do a lot of 5Ks, 10Ks. Right. And, 
Um, and I am on the treadmill and I can read on a treadmill or a stationary bike. So that's where I do. I mean, it, it, this is a funny image for all, uh, all your, all your listeners that, so I go to a gym, it's a 24 hour gym. I work out at, in the night that that's, I'm not a morning person. So I right. will another, uh, again, sort of the, I'm not that typical wake up at 5am workout. So I, my family goes to bed probably like nine, nine thirty, And then I go to the gym so I can be at the gym at 10, 11 o'clock. And one day I was at the gym, it was 11 o'clock and it's basically the same eight people that are at this gym at right. that time. <laughs> right. The <laughs> night owls. The night owls. And here I am reading the journal of attention disorders, which is a fantastic scientific journal that's devoted to ADHD research. I'm reading the journal of attention disorders with earbuds in my ear, listening to blasting music while running on a treadmill. <laughs> and one of the guys, you know, was walking past and he sort of looked at it and just kind of chuckled. And I thought this would be probably a really funny picture. I mean, you're seeing mm -hmm. this person read, of all things, the Journal of Attention Disorders while running on a treadmill, listening to really loud music. Right. <laughs> so and, funny. And again, it's that kind of thing. Like if I said to myself, no, uh, uh, a professional person has to read in his office. I have this beautiful office. Like, I, why can't I read in my office like everybody else can? Nope, I just stack up my, because I, I want to be up to date in the research and how to, for my own education and to help my clients as best I can. So I stack up those articles and I bring them to the gym. Or anytime I travel, oh, planes, Amtrak trains are the best. I mean, it's that same thing as the subway. I mean, yeah. I get, so when I, I do talks in New York every now and then and go to conferences and like I'm going to a conference in North Carolina at the end of February and I already have stuff that I'm saving to read for that, uh, just, you know, stuff that isn't urgent yeah, that, I, yeah. that I'm putting aside for that. Um, and that's again, sort of a, an example of, well, this is just what I'm going to do. And it, and it works for me. And I actually sleep as far as the workouts and the gym is concerned, I sleep better on nights where I will be at the gym. Like last night I was at the gym at 11, came home at quarter 12 and took a quick shower. And I'm more able to my mind to kind of soothe itself and get ready for bed than if I didn't go to the gym. Whereas sure. for other people, it wakes them up and completely stimulates them. For me, it's actually just discharging that electricity yeah. <laughs> and that hyperactivity that I naturally feel. Yeah. And I'm still struck by the rhythm aspect because I think running the train, even the plane, there's some rhythm mm -hmm. um, in the motion. So yeah, that's really, really fascinating. And I, it, it's just so important for parents to be open to these kind of things. And the more people who share their stories um, of success like you are, the more I think it opens everyone's minds to the possibility that it really can be a good thing. It really can be effective. Um, all of these different things that really challenge the norms. Um, and I, I just... I'm so fascinated by the fact that because my brain, I guess, is the opposite. So it it's even more kind of alarming in a good way to me um, mm -hmm. that that works for people. And um, 
It's just fantastic. Um, And in this, I think, comes in this piece of the puzzle for our kids now. If they're doing these things that do challenge the norm, especially in an environment like at school, how do they then advocate for themselves to be able to have music on when they're doing classroom work or to be able to, um, you know, be moving maybe when they're reading or whatever it might be that's working? for them, how do they then um, advocate for that in kind of this environment that expects more conformity? Absolutely. And and this is uh, such a key issue in terms of advocacy. And I think from a very young age, anytime uh, someone is diagnosed with ADHD or, or learning difference, the mo- I mean, when just as an example, I mean, personally, when my son was dying, he was diagnosed in kindergarten. So the ADHD we knew he was in the womb and I knew he had ADHD. <laughs> right. I mean, one, I, I knew what the genetic, the heritability is of it. Um, but also literally in the womb, every time we had an ultrasound, the radiologist would say, wow, this, he's really active. Like, you know, that yeah. he was, I mean, he was, and he came into the world super like, bam, and he made his presence and he is uh, wonderfully making, continuing to make a presence in the world. Um, so that was, down. We had that figured out. Um, the dyslexia, it started to become evident to me in kindergarten. Um, again, because, you know, I, I'm aware of it from my own experiences. So when he was tested and he was severely dyslexic, actually, um, he's made a tremendous amount of progress since then. But I said to my wife, the most, I, the, the remediation of the reading actually was secondary to me, to be honest. The most important thing was his self-esteem. Yeah. Because if you think you're dumb or stupid and then then nothing i mean everything is off the table i mean there's yes. there's nothing that's going to be achieved if you think that you're worthless and so even if like again i'm not the quickest reader today has that held me back no i i am very successful at what i do and i my verbal skills are excellent and so i just have to figure out ways to work around you know some of that so right. in teaching how you teach your child about their ADHD and learning issues is is key. You know, the language that we use, um, having them understand that there are models of, of various great brains out there of people that have that. And then once you have that solidified, the idea of availing themselves to resources and services becomes easier. What it, what pains me, Penny, what really pains me is when I work with, particularly, co- I see this a lot with college students who have ADHD or, or learning disabilities, and they go to college and they said, you know what, I don't want to have to need these accommodations yes. and, and this. And so they don't register with student services mm-hmm. despite, you know, all of that. And they just see it as something that is just kind of this this shame-filled kind of way of how they look at it. And then they start college, and these are bright, super bright individuals, and then they fail the first semester. And then they think, oh my gosh, maybe I have been stupid all along. And the only thing that's made me smart is just my parents have been pushing me, as opposed to, no, 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 you just need a certain kind of support and accommodation. It's not giving you an advantage over anyone else. It's literally just kind of putting you on a even playing field. And so when you can teach that at the very beginning, then it's things like 
huh, let's figure out what works for you, so the detective, and mm-hmm. then how do we bring that in the school? So another thing for me, and again, it's interesting, I, I'm learning a lot actually in this conversation about the, the power of rhythm, which I've always known has been an integral part of who I am, but when I see the theme in this and a lot of things, so another theme is chewing gum, that yes. not only am I listening to music, but when I'm writing, I am chewing gum. I have packs and packs and packs of sugarless gum in my study at home. And that, that oral, it's like an oral fidget is sort of yes, how I look I at just it. had a huge aha for my own son when you said that. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and so I, I, you know, I just say, well, let's see if this works for you. It works for me. Will this work for my, my boy, for my mm-hmm. son? And sure enough, he really, it, it does. And so we went, you know, to the school and when we had IEP meeting, I said, I, I want him to have gum. Now, typically gum is frowned upon, you know, to be yep. chewed in school. And I said, so if he's not allowed gum, you know, at, at these other times, but if for test taking, he didn't, he didn't feel he needed it to pay attention in classes, but for tests, it was very helpful. So I said, so for tests, we want him to have gum. And then at the end of the test, he can dispose, you know, of the gum in a tissue. And, and sure enough, that's, that's what it is. And so I don't want him to feel that this is weird or bizarre or, you know, anything. It's just like, I want him to basically a, a toolbox of all of these things that have worked for him because I, I can tell you, you know, all of the things that have worked for me that to this day are going to, because I think the other misconception is, okay, well, you know, maybe I needed that when I was a kid, but surely I'm going to grow out of it. Right. Um, that, that may be true for some things, but I can tell you today, I still need to have music playing. I still need to chew gum. I still need, you know, I still do my reading, you know, with at the gym or on a train. Um, so, and that's fine. You know, there's, there's no, um, sense of, of feeling any kind of sense of shame around that. So I, I remember in my son's first grade class, he goes to a public school and I, which has been great to work with, um, which isn't the case for a lot of parents, um, sometimes with their school system, but they had a stand up, a stand up desk in the classroom and not just for kids with ADHD. It could be any kid, any kid that found him or herself feeling a little groggy or whatever can just take their notebook or, and just go to the stand up desk quietly. That's awesome. And I thought, oh my gosh, if they had that when I was in school, what a difference. I wouldn't have been, I was virtually narcoleptic in school and I'm I'm not, I'm being totally truthful. I mean, that's not even a dramatic statement. I mean, when I was in high school, especially, I, I mean, this is kind of funny now, but my junior year history class, um, I could barely, barely keep my eyes open. And it was yeah. not due to sleep deprivation at all. I just did, the class was just not interesting. The teacher, he was super nice, but super monotonous in his yeah. voice and style. And I was so out of it. And so he asked me to stay after class one day and I thought, oh, well, of course, because I'm drooling on myself <laughs> that, <laughs> that he's going to say, what is wrong with you? And he started going on this lecture about peer pressure and drugs. And I thought, what, what, what are you talking about? I'm totally at this point, like what? And I said, and I said, do you, do you think I'm on drugs? And and he said, well, he goes, you know, and he, and, and honestly, I don't blame him. I said, you know, I am not smoking marijuana. Um, but I don't blame you for thinking that. And he actually said it in a very nice, I mean, I said, if I was, you approached it in the nicest way possible. Um, but 
basically, you know, trying to support me, you know, in that I didn't have the heart to tell him I was so bored and disconnected. Right. In that. I just told him I didn't get enough sleep, which at that time was not the case. Um, so it, it's, it's so important. So these fidget toys, stand up desks, you know, whether it's gum, you know, all of these things, I look back and I think, oh my gosh, that would have made a whole difference to me. And so that's what I always urge parents to do. Again, it's that detective style with their kids and saying, and what you're also doing with your child is having them, which is a skill in and of itself for anyone, but especially for kids with ADHD, to be mindful of their own self, like be mindful of, hmm, when do I notice that I'm paying attention the best? When do I notice... I get distracted. That skill of mindfulness is huge. It, yeah. it, it's, it, it really cuts across so much because we know so much of ADHD, a lot of ADHD is that, that uh, inability to kind of really be internally kind of connected. We're very externally stimulated and externally connected. So I, uh, one of the areas I do a lot of work in is the correlation of ADHD and uh, overeating, obesity, binge eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing. Like, how do I know that I am satisfied? How do I know that I'm actually hungry? We have to tune in inward as opposed to many people with ADHD, myself included, um, could easily be on the seafood diet that if we see it, we eat it. Um, Mm, So if there's there's pizza, there's pizza in front of me. It doesn't even matter if I'm hungry. Like it's not even, it's not even on my radar whether I'm hungry or not. Mm -hmm. I've learned now that's something I've learned and had to do a lot of my own work in, in doing, but there was a time where if there's two large cheese pizzas, I can eat it because I love pizza. So why wouldn't I? Mm -hmm. So the idea that I would mindfully connect to, Oh, but my stomach is full right now was a foreign concept. So that's something that is um, a great skill to teach kids. Yeah. And difficult um, with ADHD. You know, I, I had reached out to you, I guess, a few months ago now and interviewed you for an attitude article on um, overeating and ADHD and weight gain. Um, And that's something that we're struggling with right now. My son is 15 now and um, has really gained enormously in the last year and a half or so. Um, and, and he is definitely on the seafood diet. He is mm-hmm. eating constantly and I know he's not hungry constantly. And, it, and it's so alarming, not alarming, but it was really surprising that this happened because when he was six and seven and he, and he's still on the same stimulant that he was then, he's on a dose that works for him. Um, he was skin and bones and never ate. And I, you know, would go to bed so worried every night. And now I mm-hmm. have the opposite worry. And, and I, and I never back then thought that that was even a possibility mm-hmm. um, until it happened to us. And then I started researching and I'm like, wow, you know, there's a big correlation here. And, and it makes sense. It makes sense with oh, totally. ADHD symptoms that that would happen. Um, impulsivity for sure, or for the first thing. And um, so that's, you know, another awareness for for parents too, as well as for kids, um, on just how important that mindfulness is for our kids and really kind of staying in an aware space and, and teaching them that skill, really working on it because it's super important in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Without a doubt. I mean, it, it really cuts across 
so much. I mean, I, I remember in college um, was probably the first time I think I was, became mindful of when I got distracted. I used to actually have a name for it. I used to call it the click. And I would say, oh, the click just happened. Like the moment that I knew that I just disconnected from right. whatever was happening. And I didn't know, you know, obviously I didn't know then what I know now, but I used to say to my friend, oh, the click. And sometimes they would be able to tell by just how I looked, you know, the sort of, sort of look in my eyes that I was maybe looking at the teacher, but almost like looking through them. Um, that, mm -hmm. And that was the first time when I think back that I remember thinking, oh, that's interesting that I can be aware that I am distracted. And that's what mindfulness is. Mindfulness is not being, um, you know, sitting in the same lotus flower right. position <laughs> for an hour going, oh, although I think, you know, I actually do that in like five minute spurts um, and find that very helpful. But mindfulness is really just being totally aware in the present moment of what's happening. Even if that is, I am distracted right now. I am aware that I am distracted. Then when we're aware that we're distracted, we then say, okay, what do I need to do to get back into that, that moment and to redirect my attention? Yeah, and I think it's an awesome strategy. I never thought about it before to give it a name, to teach our kids to give it a name, um, I think is a more powerful way of being of having that recognition um, when they can label it. Yes. So that, that's a good, very good strategy. I have to work with my own son on that. Um, and it, it goes back to um, for parents, mindfulness, too. You know, I, when I work with parents, we talk about being mindful ourselves. And that's going to really help us again with that outside of the box thinking when we're really aware of where our kid is right now, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, what drives them and motivates them, what totally turns them off and and kind of shuts them down. All of that information, that mindful awareness is what we need to then be able to start thinking differently for our kids and start finding things that work. Definitely. And, and keeping in mind, too, that, you know, many parents who have children with ADHD have ADHD themselves. And so right. the, the mindfulness, you know, it's almost like a double um, sort of task in a sense, because as parents, that's we we're trying to be mindful of trying to see where our children are. But to parents who have ADHD themselves, it's uh, it can feel sometimes very, you know, laborious in, in that sense. And I think what's so helpful, too, is a note to parents out there who they themselves have ADHD is almost assess how they feel about their own ADHD, because the a lot of parents that I are children or teens that I work with who have parents that do, a lot of them are coming into ADHD with so much shame that they're mm -hmm. afraid to actually, they want to help their children, obviously, but they're afraid to say, oh, I don't, I don't want to name it. I don't want to, I'm afraid it's going to make them feel different. I don't want to use the word dyslexia, you know, if they have the, the, the D word. And I tell them, well, first of all, they are different, um, but different isn't defective, different isn't bad because they inherently mm -hmm. feel that way. Like I knew at a very young age, I, I can remember even in kindergarten 
having, and I didn't know what it was or anything, but I knew that there was something different about me in the sense that everybody else could kind of sit in circle time and look content. And either I couldn't, or if I did sit in circle time, I, the whole time was like, oh my gosh, I'm about to jump out of my skin. That Mm -hmm. it was, and I didn't see that, that, that register in, in um, anyone except the people who probably also had ADHD who became my friends. <laughs> right. <laughs> because birds of a feather flock together. Yes. Um, and, and, and that awareness has, I mean, to this day is still with me. I like, I still, when I look at people who sort of just can sit still and read, let's say that it's just, I observe it. And thankfully don't say negative things to myself, you know, as, as a process, you know, as a result, but if you don't define that for your children, they're going to define it or they're going to allow ignorance to define Mm -hmm. that for them. And so, um, I, one of my proudest moments, Penny, as a parent is when my son got diagnosed, it was the end of kindergarten, right before first grade. And I sat down with him. My son is, he has excellent verbal skills. So he scored super, super high in verbal skills and verbal comprehension. So I could have, you know, I always say to parents, you want to tailor it obviously to where you feel your kid can hear this. But I said to him, I said, you know, this is what you have. It's called dyslexia. And and interestingly, our favorite show, and even to this day, he was six at the time. He's 13 now. He loves the show Shark Tank. Mm. And interestingly, three of the sharks are dyslexic. Um, Damon Johns, Barbara Corcoran, and Kevin O'Leary, and Mark Hershevek is ADHD. So here you have four, you know, of the five or six entrepreneurs on the show have this interesting profile. And I said, you know, these three people are dyslexic. I pulled out anyone that I thought he would admire who we know has dyslexia. Michael Phelps, his ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the AD, we talked about the ADHD as well. All these famous people are ADHD or, or dyslexic. And I said, however, um, there you're not stupid at all. In fact, you're very bright, but there are some people that are going to think that and they're wrong. They're just wrong, but they don't understand. And I said, there'll be some people who will be surprised because you talk, you have an excellent vocabulary, you talk very well, and people associate that good verbal skills with good reading skills. And they're totally different. Um, Mm -hmm. So I said that sometimes people won't be meaning to be mean. They'll just genuinely be surprised. um, Or they'll even say things like, oh, you have dyslexia? Oh, I thought you were smart. You know, or like things like, and I went through and I said, and some people will think you're stupid and, but they're wrong. They're, you know, and this is how, and we role played. I said, let's say, you know, someone says you can't read. Oh my God, you're dumb. What would you say? You know, and I, and I didn't want him to be like, oh, shut up. You're dumb too. Like, how do you really just kind of assertively and, oh my gosh, it was probably two weeks after that conversation. I picked him, I picked him up from school every Friday and he came running out with this big look of glee on his face. And he said, daddy, daddy, he said, that really worked. And I was like, what, what really worked? And he said, I was in music class and we were singing these songs. I'm like tearing up even as I'm talking about this. He said, and I, I mean, he was a non-reader. I mean, he had some, what's called double deficit dyslexia. And so, um, he, the, the girl next to him, he said, Oh, do you mind if I like read these with you or just kind of hear you say the words? And she's like, what do you mean? You can't read them. And she wasn't being mean. She was just genuinely, again, surprised. Surprised, How how do you not know how, what these words are? 
And he said, and he goes, and I said to her, nope, I have this thing called dyslexia. It's a learning difference. And um, three of the sharks on Shark Tank have it. And uh, <laughs> Walt, Walt Disney uh, was supposedly had it. And, you know, and he's like naming, you know, all these people. And she went, oh, okay. And then just read the words and they went on to music class. And awesome. I thought, oh my gosh, that was like a, that was a pivotal moment right mm-hmm. there that had he not had that information and made to feel inferior, that would have been one of the million paper cuts that, you know, these people with ADHD, people with learning disabilities experience in their yes. lifetime, the, you know, death of a million paper cuts of their self-worth and self-esteem. And I, I mean, I couldn't help but start crying. And he's like, are you happy? And I said, no, I'm <laughs> super happy. Yeah. <laughs> And so having those conversations with your kids are so important. There's Ed Hallowell, uh, Ned Hallowell, who's you know, a big ADHD expert. Mm-hmm. He's written a lot of great books. He wrote a book that is great for young children. It's called A Walk in the Rain with a Brain. And I highly recommend it for parents out there. If you have young children, it basically is, it's a beautifully colored, illustrated book. Um, and the, the concept of the book is that there's no such thing as a bad brain. We all have good brains, but they all do different things. And some things are tif- difficult for one kind of brain than another. But I bought that book. We read it. I got, you know, any book on any children's book that was geared towards uh, ADHD or dyslexia. And we sort of, that just became the bedtime reading, drilling it in, drilling it in. And don't feel that you're um, like almost kind of encouraging a marginalization of, of your child. You're actually doing the opposite because they know that they're, they're different. They know it. They yeah. intuitively feel it. You mm-hmm. might not have the language for it, but I can tell you in kindergarten, I knew it. I knew something was different and that just continued to, you know, increase. And, um, so we define it for them and then we can share these kind of examples and parents can share their own examples too. It's okay to let your child know if you have ADHD, like this is something I can understand. It's not a hundred percent the same. And, and I always say to my, my kids and, and my son in particular that I didn't grow up with the internet. I have an incredible amount of empathy for kids with ADHD today because, yeah. oh my gosh, if I grew up with the internet, that would have been a disaster. It would have been so difficult for me. As it was, I, my parents, again, this is sort of, you know, that probably without even knowing to the degree of how helpful it was, they didn't get cable until, this is funny, uh, the day I went to college. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So I am moved into my dorm. I call my house and I say, oh, I moved in. Everything's fine. And I hear this commotion in the background. I said, mom, what's that noise? And she's like, your father got cable. (laughs) Really? Like he couldn't wait like even 24 hours for me to leave. Like meanwhile, I was begging for MTV since I was in the sixth grade, um, being a music addict that I am. And but the best thing is that they didn't. I'm glad they didn't because as it was, we had – and I had a black and white television when we could have afforded a color TV until I think I was in high school. So they made television as unappealing as possible, yeah. <laughs> which very worked smart. very well for me. Very smart. Um, but I understand that today it's you can't take all of that away from kids. They have such accessibility to – media, social media and YouTube. And, and so there is this additional dimension that I say to my son, I don't, I can't tell you that I understand, 
um, that additional stressor of how to manage that, you know, with everything else. So let's work through it together. Yeah, it's amazing that he was able to have that experience so young too, where he explained it to someone and they said, oh, okay. And, you know, that he, I mean, I'm sure that gave him a lot of confidence and to be able to Mm -hmm. take that forward with him is huge. You know, kids with ADHD and learning disabilities are so susceptible to learned helplessness, especially when they're in environments where they um, are even inadvertently taught that there's something wrong or that they can't instead of finding ways that they can. Um, Exactly. And I think, you know, my son is really struggling in school right now. And I think that that's a big part of it. You know, it feels like a lack of motivation, but I, it's really come down to the fact that he hasn't been served in the capacity that he really needed to be in school for years. And so he was able to get away with not doing homework and these other things. And that has now become what he wants to say is his defining truth, you know, that he, Mm -hmm. as long as he's passing, it's just fine. And so, you know, we have to be really, really careful of, of that happening of learned helplessness, um, coming from those messages and, and, you know, explaining to your son and giving him this great ammunition, it still doesn't stop the people around him from, you know, kind of a lot of the times having the same reactions or giving him the same feelings, but he's able to kind of have that barrier of knowledge that says, I know that I'm more than that. I know that's, that doesn't define me. And that's so incredibly powerful. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and, it doesn't unfortunately immunize, you know, that, that individual, right. even with that to still not have those hits, you know, there are exactly. those absolute moments where he said, Oh my gosh, this is so frustrating. Like I, I wish this wasn't something that, you know, I had to sometimes deal with. And, but then there are other times where he recognizes, um, kind of what that brings him. And for ADHD individuals that, you know, thinking outside the box, it is hard in school when there is obviously this push of conformity of how we have to kind of mm-hmm. sort of learn. It's taught, you know, in a certain kind of way. But one of the benefits that I've seen having to almost be forced to think outside the box and figure out ways, which felt effortful at the time. Sometimes they're fun and sometimes it's, it was annoying it's and very laborious and a drag. Yeah. But now in my adult life, I feel like it's, I, my creative problem solving skills are pretty good. I mean, I think they're, they're pretty good. I think partly because I've been in practice in an apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've been an apprentice of needing to do that. The other thing I always say is that one of the, I think probably one of the largest benefits I've gotten from ADHD is, you know, one of my, when I was younger, one of my favorite words, unfortunately, was the word boring. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. so boring. Oh, ma, that's so boring. Oh, he's so boring. Oh, I don't want to hang out with them. There's boring. That class is boring. I mean, it was, I was a constant critic in, in that way. And it, it can sound very annoying, I'm sure, to anyone to hear like, okay, come on, you know, what, but really what I was saying is that I, I just don't feel this kind of level of stimulation. So as a result, because people with ADHD get, we require a high level of stimulation to connect and to feel clicked in. 
that we're drawn towards our passions. And when that learned helplessness is not, you know, this is why it's so important to not, to avoid that learned helplessness, to really work with the self-esteem piece, is that you want them to continue to have a momentum of moving and guiding themselves towards their passion. I love that. I love going to work every day, Penny. Like I wake up and I love going to work. I'm going to be 46 years old this year and I can't relate. And I, and I feel badly for friends of mine who are in their mid forties who hate what they do. They, they go to work. It's a drag for them. They feel miserable. They feel like it sucks the life out of them. I feel like I'm just beginning, you know, I have such passion for what I do, but because I have to, like, it's not even, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, that's so great that, you know, you, uh, you made this happen for yourself. And, and it's not that I'm not proud of myself in that way, but honestly, it's like survival for me. Like yeah. I would be dysfunctional in a job that I wasn't inherently interested in. It would be bad. It would not work for me. So there's no question that one of the benefits of ADHD, provided that you just have to keep just going the course, is you will be drawn towards something that you love to do because you have to. But what a gift. I mean, I feel like I I feel like I'm you know, just always enriched and nurtured in, in the work that I do. And of course, working with people, I inherently enjoy people and, and helping them. Um, but what child also needs to hear, particularly when they're in school, the best advice I got, one of the, well, many pieces of advice, but one was from an English teacher my junior year, where again, I was just, I hated high school, hated it. I thought it was just, oh my, such a drag. And I was mm-hmm. half asleep. I don't even remember first period because I was, I don't think my brain woke up until I was like 10 AM. Right. And I really thought, I don't think I can go to college. Like this is just not going to work for me. You know, not that I didn't feel bright enough, but I thought it's just going to be a complete drag. Like Mm -hmm. why would I electively sign up for this? And I come from, you know, a household, two immigrant parents, college education is everything. I mean, that, that's what my parents worked so hard for. So it didn't, take very well when I said, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do this college thing. And my English teacher said, you know, Roberto, like you're the kind of person. And again, this wasn't even where ADHD was totally even understood at that time. But she said, you're the kind of person that doesn't, that you really need to do something that you love to do. And you don't like to be told no, which is true. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And you need all doors open so that you can have the choice and to figure out what door you want to go through. And she said, there are some people that are fine when someone says, hey, just go through this door and they just go through it and they do, fine. She said, but you're someone that you're going to need lots of doors open and so that you can choose what you want to do. So you just have to get through this. You just got to get through it. And when you go to college, you'll be able to pick classes. You'll be able to figure out kind of what works for you. And that was in my head. And then senior year, I took, you could either take physics or psychology. And I took psychology. And it didn't come as a surprise to me that I found it inherently interesting. But the the idea that I actually found the academic nature of it very interesting, the fact that I did all the homework and did more than what was assigned to me said, oh my gosh, I think I can really study this. So I went from, I don't think I'm going to go to college to, I think I'm going to apply to Tufts, which I grew up right near Tufts University. And I said, I think I'm going to apply to Tufts. And 
major in psychology. And, you know, my family is like holding their breath saying, okay. Um, <laughs> and then my freshman year, first semester at Tufts, I said, you know, I think I, I looked on, there was this book I remember that told you what you could do with a bachelor's, master's and PhD. And I said, I, I want to do all the things that a PhD person could do. So I'm going to apply to doctoral programs when I'm done with college. <laughs> so I went from, I'm not going to college to I'm going to get a PhD. And wow. that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Zero to 200. Yes. Yeah. I talk with my son now about how when he gets to college, he gets to choose mostly what he wants to do, or he gets to choose to go to community college or he, you know, that he can, focus on what's interesting to him and what he's excited about. So we just have to get through high school so we can yes. get to that point. I mean, we now we're at that point of having that conversation and, um, it hasn't quite been empowering yet, but he's only a freshman. And I think, yeah. you know, he, he's still trying to get his bearings in high school. Um, right. but I think it's going to be, very powerful and certainly a much better um, conversation than telling him that he has to do what everybody else is doing or why can't he? He's, you know, he has a gifted intelligence. And so he but he also has zero executive functioning. And so he barely makes C's and D's, even though he's super, super smart. And, you know, I think he finds that um kind of damaging to his self-esteem but in that conversation that we have now repeatedly it's mm -hmm. but you know later you're going to be in an environment where it's going to work for you and right now exactly. this just isn't exactly what you need but it's what you have to do but we're going right. to get to that other spot and it's going to be awesome and I know that you can do it you know and it's kind of a pep talk for me as the parent as well yes. we're going to get through this <laughs> we're right. going to get to a better place and and that's just what, you know, we have to do. And that's certainly way outside of the parenting norm box of, you know, telling our kids why high school is so important and what they have to do after they're done. And, you know, we're, we're having a whole different conversation uh, and that's okay. And it's the conversation we need to have. Right. Exactly. We are getting close on time. So did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about in this conversation today? No, I think we actually covered it very well. And I, and I just recommend, you know, for parents to just to saturate themselves with information by yes. podcasts like this, um, Attitude Magazine, mm -hmm. um, hearing, you know, webinars, podcasts, YouTube lectures, uh, you know, Russell Barkley, who's the world's leading researcher on ADHD, has lots of great YouTube lectures. Um, yes. Just get, a, when you get informed to get information, you'll, you'll get those light bulb moments of, oh, now I can understand this. Um, and, in, and some of these things are good to even watch with your child, depending on, you Know, their age and where they are developmentally so that they can hear. There's actually a great YouTube channel called How to ADHD that's um, very colorful, very short videos that hit and, and address different topics. It's great for younger people to, to hear. The the woman, her name is Jessica McCabe. Yes. She's very, very bright and very young and, and um, just engaging. And a lot of my younger clients really like that because she addresses her audience's brains. She's like, yeah. hi, brains. And, and yeah. that's, that's what it 
is. We're all these brains and we just all have a little bit, you know, different wiring and we have to honor the wiring that we have. Yes. Honor what's true for you. That's what I talk to parents about all the time. Honor what's true for your child, not what the normal expectation is, but what is actually true for your child. So very, very powerful stuff. And I think it's really the only way to get to the other side um, effectively to really do the best that we can for our kids when they have so many challenges like this. Um, Our folks can reach out to you via email. Looks like you are not really online, no website, no social media, but I will link up your email in the show notes for anyone who wants to reach out to you. The show notes will be at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 029 episode 29 and um, then they can connect with you and and they can certainly google you as well i i know this morning i saw a lot of videos um with you on youtube and Mm -hmm. there are tons of articles on attitude magazine and so there are ways that they can certainly connect with you and your work and um find out more but i've really enjoyed this conversation Super fascinating. And I'm really excited that um, the audience is going to have these really powerful insights. Um, And so that concludes this episode of the podcast. And I will see you again next time. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit the website parentingadhdandautism.com for so much more on successfully raising kids with ADHD. Be sure to check out the podcast section as well for previous shows. Join us next time for more parenting strategies and insights that actually work for kids with ADHD.